pray with me. Father, as these dear children leave our midst, I pray that you would open their hearts to the good news this morning. Open their ears, give them ears to hear. That they would be blessed by your gospel, your word, as it's taught to them from this early age. May they always walk in your ways all the days of their life. And Father, help us as we open the bread of life this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And Father, we pray that we would be transformed because we've been here this morning. That this would not be in vain. So come, Holy Spirit. We want the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through 18 this morning. Um, as I open this text this week, there is, uh, in so many ways I could preach 60 minutes easy on this text. There's so much to say, Amen, but I can't do that. <laughs> and so, all God's people said, Amen. You don't get to hear me for 60 minutes. I'll keep it short. So we're here again in Luke chapter 3. We're the third Sunday of Advent. So welcome to this season of Advent. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning as well. My task is really easy this morning. Um, it's not easy to keep it short, but it's easy in the sense that I'm picking right up where these men to my right, your left, have, have really left off. Um, because Tyler, if you remember two weeks ago, uh, gave us this message to what? Wake up. wake up, right? And so there you go, wake up, right? All of us need to wake up. And then Father Tripp, a week ago, gave us this message to not be complacent. It's easy to be complacent, right? In this season of helter skelter, um, of Advent and Christmas, um, but we are to preach the good news and so what better example as we open up the Word of God, we look at Luke chapter 3 to see this, this guy um, who wore uh, clothing of camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and he had a diet of locusts and wild honey. Um, this was a, a different cat, so to speak. Um, this guy was different. And so his dress and diet were strange and different. Um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and his message was clear. And I'm talking about John the baptizer right there in Luke 3. His message was clear. You can see it right there in verse 3 of chapter 3. He proclaimed what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the question that we're going to answer this morning is if you do that, if, if you've made that decision, what do we do now? What is it that we do? And that's really the essence of what we see in verse 10. That's what the people are asking, okay? We've, we repented. Now what? What do we do? Is there a distinctive lifestyle? that grows out of relying on mercy alone? What sort of things does a person who is happily relying on God's free mercy do and not do? And 
we see the answer in verse 8, right? You've heard it read this morning already. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, what John is saying to the people is, abide in Christ. Bear fruit. You're now attached to the vine of all vines. And bear fruit. This passage is is essentially just dripping with practicality. It's really our message, right? And we, we need this message. Because sometimes we make that decision to follow Christ, and then we all just kind of look at each other like, okay, now what? You know, do we have to go on a mission trip to Africa? Or, you know, do we have to make the trek to Israel? What, what do we do now? We need to wake up. We need to get not caught up in the rat race of life that it throws at us. And some of us may just be honestly here this morning crying out to God, but really finding that our spiritual affections for Christ have become dull. Have really become dull. And so what Luke does for us here in this beautiful gospel is he unpacks what I believe are three images of a repentant heart. Three images of a repentant heart. Here's the first. It is a heart of unity. It is a heart of unity. This is, I think, what may be the hidden gem in this text. And so let me unpack it for you. I think it is most clearly seen here in verse 8. Because what John says to the Jews, right? And the Jews were prone to rely on their Jewishness, right? And so what's he say to them? Don't begin to give me this banter that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. In other words, if that's what you put all of your stock in, it doesn't work. In other words, what John is saying is if you think your Jewishness will grant you salvation, you are sorely mistaken. This is going to be very, very bad news for you if that's what you're putting your stock in. Jewishness, and so this is what I want you to hear this morning. Jewishness is no guarantee. Non-Jewishness, right? Because we're all Gentiles, probably, for the most part. Non-Jewishness is no hindrance. Let me say that again. Jewishness is no guarantee. Non-Jewishness, there's no hindrance. The way to forgiveness of sins, it's open to all. The door is open. Jew and Gentile, by the same road, the road of repentance, which means anybody who turns, who's turning from trusting in human distinctives, And hopes in the free mercy of God alone will be saved from the impending wrath through forgiveness of their sins. So notice what I want you to see here as I unpack this is three groups in this text. There are three, right? Look at verse 10. That's the first group. It's the multitudes, right? The second group is the tax collectors in verse 12. The third group is the soldiers in verse 14. They're all here. In these three groups, you have to know socially, right? How they interacted with one another. And um, they, they didn't interact well. They didn't like each other. They were hostile towards one another. And the multitudes were, were just ordinary Jewish people for the most part. 
tax collectors. They were viewed as greedy Jewish turncoats who used their already despised relation with Rome to line their own pockets. People didn't like them. Soldiers probably included Gentiles, but in any case, they represented the pagan Roman overlords of the people who were there. And they didn't like the soldiers either. And so here they all are with the same question. What shall we do? They're all here now. And they're all on the same ground. They're all needy. And when a person turns to rely on God's mercy, he can no longer hate his neighbor. Let me say that again. When a person turns to the mercy of God, there's something that happens within the heart that will no longer allow them to hate their neighbor. It is psychologically impossible to cherish the mercy of God that he has shown us and at the same time refuse to show it to another. Therefore, one of the fruits that befits repentance is a growing unity. Repentance penetrates ramparts that separate classes and races and cliques, doesn't it? Right? It's not, we're from this part of town and they're from the other side of the tracks. (laughs) They're that color of skin, we're this color of skin. They're that race, we're this race. We see human beings, don't we? When you put on the eyes of God and the eyes of Jesus, you see souls. It's not just a transaction at a counter. That's a human being on the other side that needs Christ. When we shop, when we get our groceries, when we pass each other in carts and bang into each other, right? We, in our cars, when we'd rather do something we shouldn't, that's a human being in the other vehicle. So don't crash into them. Don't yell things out your window. Right? These are humans. Therefore, the church of all institutions should be free of cliques of people, which is really uninviting to outsiders. Christmas, I believe, with God's mercy, makes for what I call merry mingling. That's what this season brings. Merry mingling. The first is, this first image of a repentant heart is unity. The second image of a repentant heart is a heart of open, what I call open-handedness. Open-handedness. There is a heart that says and feels with closed fists, mine. (laughs) Those of you with parents, man, you've seen this, haven't you? You don't even have to coach it, right? It's like they come out of the womb like this, mine, closed fists right? My toys. But isn't it amazing as we get to be adults, this closed fist can still be a part of our lives. It's my pew. That's my kind of worship. Mine. My money. 
my house, my vehicles. Those are my possessions. All of it's mine. And then there is a heart that says and feels, I believe, with open-handedness, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I bless you this day? What can I give? It's God's. All of it. It's all God's. Money, possessions. It's all God's. And we see this here, don't we? Three exhortations that John gives the three groups. Look at verse 11. To the multitude, he says, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has what? None. And he who has food, let him do likewise. You have a coat, give it away. You have food, feed him. Essentially. Verse 13 says to the tax collectors, collect no more than is appointed to you. Collect no more than is appointed to you. I thought about sending this message to the Internal Revenue Service. thought maybe that would help, maybe. Um, verse 14 to the soldiers, don't shake down anybody. Don't extort money by false accusations. Be, so here it is, right? This is what he says to them. Be content with your wages. When you think of all the hundreds of exhortations John could have given and may have given, and all the exhortations Luke could have recorded, I, I think, and maybe you're with me here, I, I think it's astonishing that in all three cases, John refers to their possessions, their money, and their things. And we, we see this again and again in Luke's gospel. And it's part of the good news that faith in God, reliance on his mercy, hope in his promises, it changes how we handle our money and our possessions, doesn't it? And there's one fundamental reason for that. Luke 12, 34. You can turn there if you want or you can just jot it down. You, you've heard it before. Luke 12, 34 says this, where your treasure is, there will be what? Your heart. There it is, right? There is the heart of repentance. That's where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? I mean, essentially, that's the question, right? This morning, where, where's your treasure? Kids? Wife? Husband? Clemson? USC, where is it? You can tell where a man's heart is resting by the way he handles his money and by the attitude he has toward his possessions. His heart is resting in the mercy of an all-sufficient God, and he will have the lifestyle John is exhorting here in verses 10 through 14. Something that I just thought about just in a point of application is Christmas is almost here, right? We're highly anticipating that. That day where we all open gifts. And I know that all of you here, I, you're all goodwilled people. And you, you love your family and your kids. And you're going you're gonna to buy gifts, right? And you're going to give them to folks. And this is what I want you to do um, on Christmas Day. I, you may already do this. I, I try to do this. So remember, I, I have four kids, two dogs, a cat. You know, in the hustle and bustle of Sunday morning, 
you know, Jamie and I are just praying that the tree doesn't burn down. <laughs> it's a successful morning if that doesn't happen. And so it, sometimes it can be difficult, but this is what I want you to do. As you give gifts this Sunday morning, December 25th, what I want you to do is just kind of sit back. Don't open your gifts. Just give gifts. And then just sit back and just watch your loved ones or your friends open them. Just watch. Just enjoy it. Watch what happens to their countenance, to their heart, to their eyes, to their hands when they open that gift that you have given them. The word of God is very clear, isn't it? It is better to what? Better to give than to receive. Here's the last thing. The last image of a repentant heart is a heart expectantly set on Christ. A heart that is expectantly set on Christ. Notice verse 15. As the people were in expectation. All the English translations translate that word expectation. All were questioning their hearts concerning John. Whether perhaps he was the what? Whether he was the Messiah. The Christ who was to come. They were anticipating, expecting. There was this expectation of the coming Messiah. And the people in their hearts thought that this could be him. And John sets them straight, doesn't he? And he says these words. This is one of those underlining words, passages. He who is coming is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Humility. John sees him under Christ. But here's, I think, the beauty of Advent. The beauty of the season that we're in is this. God is the gain. God is the gain. Nothing makes God more supreme and more central than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing, nothing, not money, prestige, leisure, family, job, health, sports, toys, friends, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to an aching heart besides Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the good news this morning. Advent is about God being the gain. The gospel is God. It's Christ. And so this conviction breeds a people, when we say this, who's going hard after Christ on Sunday mornings. And that's what we do here at St. Paul's. Amen? Right? Let us not be confused about why we're here this morning. We all love one another. Right? That's the unity that brings us together. But we're here because we love Jesus Christ. He's supreme. He's first. We do not see songs and prayers and sermons and creeds as mere traditions or mere duties. Listen, we see them as a means of getting to God or God getting to us for more of his fullness, 
which we should desire and want because God is gain. One of the things that you will probably gather together this Christmas is you may get a lot of things that you just don't need. <laughs> Are you like me? Every Christmas, you just kind of like, you, it's, it's just one year after the other, you're kind of like, yeah, I really don't need that. I don't need this. And I'm not talking about gifts. I'm talking about the things that we just see, right? We just, as we get older, we just kind of, we, we know that, Man, I just really don't need that. I don't need that in my garage anymore. <laughs> I don't need this in my house anymore. But there's one thing that you do need. You need Jesus Christ. You need the lamb who was slaughtered before the foundations of the world. You need to abide in Christ. You need to bear fruit for repentance. Three individuals that may be here this morning, you've You've never repented of your sins. You've never believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now's the opportunity. We love to tell our Baptist friends we have an altar call every morning, every Sunday morning here at St. Paul's, right? We invite you to come. You may be here this morning and you're like, I've strayed. I've strayed. My relationship with Christ is strained. I'm not living very close with Christ. Or you may be here this morning saying, listen, I I want more of Christ. I need more of Christ this morning. Every morning here at St. Paul's, you have that opportunity. We're going to invite you to come to the altar. No matter what background, no matter what, you're always invited to come, partake in Holy Eucharist and fellowship with Christ. Pray with me. Father, help us. We need your help. May we abide in you. May we grow to love you more and more with each passing day as we grow older.